All right. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Calvary Chapel North Shore. Of course, uh, still doing the online version of church. And I I have to say that I'm, I'm stoked. I think I say this every week. I'm stoked that we can do this but so ready to see you and so ready to just uh, give hugs and um, just hang out together and just have everyone together worshiping and studying the Bible together. So hopefully next few weeks, God willing, we will be able to do that, but we'll see. But anyway, what a blessing. We get to open the word of God tonight and uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew tonight, um, chapter six, and I'm gonna read from about verse five through about verse 14. So what I'll do is go ahead and read that. We'll pray, and then I'll just kind of jump in and and remind us of what we're talking about tonight, make some applications. So join me, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. I'll read, you follow, says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others' trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your uh, Father forgive your trespasses. Well, Father, we kind of pause right now and and we realize in a sense we're on holy ground. This is um, just a very familiar teaching that you gave and it's so humbling, Lord, honestly, right now to teach something you taught and clearly I can't improve upon it or anything like that, but God, we want to take a fresh look at it and our heart is not to just gather more information. We want to really know you, Jesus. We want to really learn to pray. And so God, though this may be familiar, please would you make it fresh like the first time we've ever heard it. And God, that we'd walk away with some handles to grab onto and just some real practical things to put into our lives. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, if you listen to last week's uh, sermon or teaching, you might remember that I started kind of a, lack of a better term, mini-series on prayer and talking about prayer. And we were actually in Luke chapter 11, where when Jesus was praying, um, one of the disciples came up to him and said, hey, teach us to pray. And, um, you know, all the disciples agreed. And then Jesus launched into that teaching on prayer. And this is kind of that parallel passage. He gives that teaching in Mark 11. He gives a very similar teaching to, to uh, Matthew 6, but they just happened at different times. All that to say is we started this discussion on prayer. Uh, just as, as a way of review, when we were talking about prayer, very simply, we defined it as communicating with God. Of course, there's more to it than that. But in a very, very base way, it's communicating with God. And we just talked about, and I was trying to just very simply remind us of this incredible privilege 
I mean, this unthinkable mystery and privilege of prayer that we can communicate with God, that he would condescend to want to communicate with us, that he partners with us, even though he's sovereign, that he, he um, partners with us in prayer and, and, and there's power and, and things that happen because we pray. And it's just a never-ending topic, really. But what I really started with, which I thought was and still think is a, is a great starting point, is the request that the disciples made. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we talked about how that was probably born out of watching the conspicuous prayer life of Jesus and seeing what was flowing out of his life because of that prayer life. Intimacy with the Father, power in his ministry, all those things. And I believe that it was out of that sense of, wow, watching him and and realizing some kind of lack in their own uh, prayer life that they say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you show us how to do that? And, and, and as I said last week, kind of ended the last week with this, as I'm starting this week, is that's where it all starts. Where we finally come to a place where say, we say, Father, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Remember, they asked that at the end of his ministry, three years in, where you would have thought, man, don't they know how to pray by now? And maybe you've been a Christian a long time, but again, it all starts, Lord, teach me to pray. And I gave my testimony a little bit last week of how I kind of came to that place as well. So all that to say is we're kind of, that's what we're operating from. I'm I'm not some prayer specialist or I've reached some plateau. I'm in the learning process with you, but we cannot overstate how important prayer is. It's the lifeblood of our relationship with God. And I also think it's kind of the litmus test of where I'm at spiritually and where the church of Jesus Christ is. Uh, I'll quote again from Andrew Murray, who said, prayer is the pulse of spiritual life. It's a short quote, but it's so true. And so we're learning to pray. How can we uh, talk about learning how to pray without looking at the teaching Jesus gave on prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer? It was his response to the request. Teach us to pray. And he said, pray like this. Now, as I mentioned, I'm actually going back to the Matthew 6 version, which has some more detail to it, but basically the same prayer. So what I'd like to do tonight, we're just going to go through the Lord's Prayer. I have to say this, um, volumes of books are written on the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to exhaust every nook and cranny of the Lord's Prayer, but I just want to take a fresh approach to it. Uh, Like I said in my prayer, maybe give us some practical handles to hold on to so that we can actually go and pray with, um, with some tools in our tool belt, so to speak. So we're going to go through it, and I'm going to borrow an outline. This is by no means my, my own outline, but uh, I'll kind of go through it as we go. And, and, and once you see it, it'll be hard to not see, and then it'll be easy to remember. But um, we're going to start. But before we do that, you might have noticed that when I read, I actually was starting in verse 5, where Jesus, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, and there's a lot of context before and after and all that, but he's talking about prayer and, and other things. And he, he jumps in in this topic of prayer, but he actually starts with how not to pray. So before we look at how to pray, he actually goes in and says how not to pray. And I'm not going to take a ton of time, but the first thing he basically says is, don't use prayer to make yourself look holy. Don't use prayer to make, and and he's referring to these Pharisees and these religious guys who would stand on the street corner, stand up at the Temple Mount, and they would pray these elaborate, I'm sure it was in old King James English, oh Lord, thou my God, you know, and they would pray and everybody would be like, oh my gosh, they are so spiritual, you know, they would, and and he basically says, now they got the reward because 
They were doing it to be seen by people. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think a bunch of us are going to, you know, do that where we stand up and check me out as I pray. But don't kid yourself. Every single one of us, every one of us that sucks air, every, every one of us who's human, we have a little Pharisee living inside of us. And there's a little someone, a little pride in us that wants to come off more spiritual than we are. And he, and he says, look, if that's your motive, you've got re, your, your reward. Now, it's not that God is saying or that Jesus is saying you can't pray in public. He's just saying if that's the only time you pray, then there's something wrong. If your motive is just to be looked upon as more holy, there's something wrong with that. He said real prayer life happens in the secret place. And, I, and on that point, I just want to say this. You know, I hope and pray that the only time, that the only time you pray is not when you're at church. I hope that there's a real, robust, vibrant, real prayer life happening in your private life. Because listen, who you are at home and who you are in private is really who you are. It's not when you come to church and all, everybody's putting their best foot forward, and that's fine. But the reality is who we are at home and who we are in secret is who we really are. And so he warns against that. Another thing he warns against too is number two, um, he says, don't think that a lot of talking is, is actually praying. He's probably referring to, you know, the pagan practices of oming and repeating these phrases over and over again, you know, like with fervency and thinking that somehow by sheer volume, you know, if I just repeat this phrase over and over, somehow that's gonna show my earnestness and God will hear me. He says, don't do that. He says, don't do that. And, and you know, the reality is, is some of the most powerful prayers in the Bible are short. This particular prayer, I think I prayed it in 28 seconds. I timed it. It's a 28-second prayer if you, if you pray it. Prayers don't have to be long or elaborate to be heard. And he says, don't fall into that trap. You know, it makes me think of... Um, I grew up as a Lutheran, as, as a little kid. I went to the Lutheran church. I have great memories, and I'm very thankful for that heritage and that upbringing. But, you know, the reality is, is we'd stand up every week and we'd recite the Lord's Prayer. And for me, it became very repetitive. And I think of our Catholic friends, you know, as well. It's like, I think they've made a real mistake in um, the repetitiveness of Hail Marys and Our Fathers. And not, you know, not that, G, not that we can't say that prayer verbatim, and I'll talk about that in a second, but if we think by virtue of just repetition by itself somehow grabs God's attention, he says, that's, that's not the way it is. It doesn't work like that. Now, you maybe aren't one that repeats phrases over and over, think, you know, like that, but you know what I was convicted on? I don't do it like that, but you know what I do is I find myself oftentimes in my prayer life repeating the same phrases without thinking. I can sometimes just go into my prayer life and pray the same things over, and they're not bad, they're not wrong. But the point is, I'm not engaged. I'm not thinking. I'm not articulating. I'm just kind of on autopilot. It's like muscle memory for my prayer life. It just kind of snaps to the same things over and over and over again. It's challenging to me to engage my brain and think through what I'm saying and even emote, you know, and just kind of press in. So a couple of warnings before he gets into the prayer. But now let's just dive right in to the Lord's Prayer. Hopefully you're still with me. I'm gonna be looking at kind of a, 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 an outline as we go through this. We're gonna look at what he, how, how he says, this is how you are supposed to pray. And the outline kind of goes something like this. It's gonna be um, his person, his praise, um, his purposes, 
his provision, his pardon, and his protection. And we'll go through those again, but hopefully, you know, once you see them, um, they'll pop out at you. So let's look at this first part. First of all, I want to look at that phrase where he says this in verse 9. Pray then like this. So before we actually look at the prayer proper, he says, pray then like this. And I just want to make an observation. I tend to agree with those who say that this prayer was not intended by Jesus to necessarily be a prayer that is just repeated verbatim, but that it's actually kind of meant to be a pattern for prayer. Now, having said that, there is nothing wrong with praying this prayer verbatim. I do it all the time. I find myself at a loss of how to pray sometimes, and I'll just pray this prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's wonderful because it's this simple pattern, like this little outline that you can say in 20 seconds or you can just take time on each section and be there for an hour. And it's wonderful because a child can do it, but the deepest thinker and the oldest Christian can just mull over it and use the pattern to go as deep as he or she would like to. So it's a pattern of prayer. The next thing I want you to notice is when Jesus says, pray like this, I want to say it now in case I forget later. He says, our Father... And he uses that, that plural, our Father. He'll say us, ours. And here's a little hint about this. Jesus, when he taught to pray, was using the plural, ours. Our Father, us. And that used to bug me, quite honestly, when I would read that. Why is he, using, why is he saying it in the plural? I don't, pray like our, I don't pray in the plural like that. But here's the thing that it reminds me of. I don't know how you operate, but I can be so self-centered in my prayers. I can, I can be so consumed with what I'm going through at the moment and my stuff and my situation and my family and my needs and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's almost like this little reminder that says, Jason, it's not all about you. It's not all about what you're going through and there's a bigger picture and that's actually a very, very helpful thing. So it's a pattern, it's bigger than us. Let's jump in and we're gonna go phrase by phrase and it just kind of follows that that. Um, outline that I was talking about. Look at this first phrase. He says, our Father in heaven. And this is where it all starts, you guys. This is where it starts. All right prayer starts with a focus on whom we're praying to. And this is so important. He's saying, when you pray, you pray to the person who is God. He's our Father in heaven. He's our Father in heaven. Now this, if, if in, in my version of the Bible, I actually have one of those emojis that has a mind that's blown. That's not true. But it kind of would be appropriate to have a little mind-blown emoji after that phrase. Father in heaven. That is a mind-blower. Jesus is teaching us that we can come to the God of the universe and call him Father. Think about it maybe from the reverse. God is saying, I want to relate to you on a father-child basis. And this is a key to prayer. Prayer is based on relationship. And our relationship is with God, but in terms of a father. Now I can only imagine when the disciples heard this for the first time, where the crowd around them heard Jesus say this for the first time, because it, it, talking about mind blowing, they would it would have been like grabbing a, a pair of drumsticks and just smashing the cymbal as hard as you can. It just would have been so abrupt. Like, what did he just say? How are we supposed to come to God? 
You see, they understood the in heaven part. You see that, our Father in heaven. Um, the in heaven part really references his holiness. He's God. He is eternal, outside of time, outside of space. He dwells in unapproachable light. He always was, always will be. He's the alpha, the omega. He's the creator, the sustainer of life, and on and on and on. And the Jews, to their credit, understood that aspect of God probably better than we do. His holiness, his unapproachability. Think about it in terms of the Old Testament. Mount Sinai. God's presence booming down on top of that mountain is smoking and fire. And they say, Moses, you go talk to God. He's too scary. We, you talk to him, tell us what he said, we're in. You think about the tabernacle and the temple. The whole thing communicated holiness and unapproachability. There is a veil. You don't just get to approach and come close to God. And yet Jesus says, our Father in heaven. Now what does Father communicate? Father communicates Fearless accessibility, intimacy, um, comfortableness, love. And, and so to have those two things melded together is like, how does that even work? And let me say this, how do those two things come together? There's only one way and it's the gospel. The only way that we can approach God yet with that loving fatherly away child to a daddy way is because the father loved us so much he sent his only begotten son who died in our place who, who, who literally took the sin off of us and put it onto him and he was punished for the things we did on the cross he died he raised again three days later he ascended to heaven and anyone and all who put their trust in Jesus are born again and that is when you can come into that kind of relationship. Listen, God is not everybody's father. Oh, he is in the sense that he created everybody, but not everybody has a child-father relationship with him until you are born again of the Spirit. Jesus said you must be born again. John chapter 1, verse 12 says that anyone who receives him, who believes in his name, has the right to become the children of God. So let me ask you right now, before we go any further, is God your father? Not the man upstairs, not almighty God. He is almighty God, but can you personally say he's my father because you've been born again? If that's true of you, praise God. If it's not, stop everything right now. Press pause and just right now receive Jesus Christ. Confess your sins, receive forgiveness and allow him into your life and you'll be saved. Make him your father right now. But if you already have that relationship, this is how we can come. And, and again, we could go on and on and on about this, but this is the mind blower. This is where it all starts. The person of God. He's God Almighty, yet we get to come to him as Papa, Father. Later on in the Bible, it says we cry out to him, Abba, Father. And there's so much that comes along with that. But that's where it all starts. It's based on relationship, father-child relationship, and so much connected to that. But for time's sake, we have to move on. And he says, when you come, you say, Father in heaven, um, hallowed be your name. Now that's a fascinating phrase. Hallowed be your name. What exactly are we praying when we say, hallowed be your name? First of all, you need to understand that the idea of the name of God is communicating his person his personality, who he is. And what we're saying when we say, hallowed be your name, is we're saying, God, may your name, may you be hallowed, made holy, set apart. It's really just communicating this. May you 
be praised and honored and lifted above anything and everything and every issue. May it all be about your glory. What I love about this is prayer is starting with acknowledging God as our Father, coming to Him on those terms, and starting with praise. Just starting with, God, you are awesome. Now, now think about that. If that's where our prayer life starts, if, if you go into your room and you want to pray and you say, Lord, thank you for being my Father, and I want to praise you, and Lord, may your name be hallowed, what you're now doing is saying, everything I'm about to pray for May you get all the glory in all of it. May, you be, may it be all about you and not all about me. And that, guys, if we miss that element of, of, of our prayer life, sometimes we just get way myopic and we just get all self-centered and, and we forget who it is who we're praying to and who it is is to get all the glory. And it just puts everything in a right perspective. So he says, hallowed be your name. May you get all the praise and all the glory, and all the honor. Before I move on from that point, just I'm kind of spitballing here, but I want to encourage you to do that. And, and I'm encouraging myself, because there's times I do this, but I don't do it as often as I'd like. When's the last time in your prayer, prayer time, when you got up early in the morning to read your Bible, do your quote-unquote devotions, that instead of just jumping into reading, you just stopped and, and sang in a whisper, maybe so you don't wake up everybody else, or you just sang a song or just turned to a psalm and, and just, or just started telling God all the things you're thankful for and just praised him. If you haven't done that in a while, maybe kind of get back to that at the beginning of your prayer time. We gotta move, we gotta move on, we gotta mosey. So he says, pray like this, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now I'm gonna lump these three lines together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now if we're going back to the outline, his person, Father in heaven. Praise, hallowed be your name. But now we're talking about his purposes. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So again, I, I kind of come from the approach of just real simple. What, what are we praying for? When we, when we say, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what is it we're actually saying? Well, I think it helps to, to maybe just talk about for a moment what the kingdom of God is. I mean, that's a, that's a phrase that is all over the Gospels that Jesus used all the time, that's used of Jesus all the time, that he was preaching the good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God this, the kingdom of heaven that. What is the kingdom of God? It's kind of a tricky thing to pin down, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's kind of this interesting tension where it's the kingdom of God is something that is already here but has not yet come. Think about it. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a realm that a king rules over. So when you're talking about the kingdom of God, you're talking about Jesus being the king of kings and lord of lords, ruling over a realm. But what realm? The lives of people that have come under his lordship. Those of us who have been, listen, if you're a born again believer in Jesus, you are already a part of the kingdom of God. You, are, you have submitted yourself to his rule in your life. You are a part of his kingdom. Now, we can't see it with our eyes yet. We'll talk about that in a second. But you are a part of his kingdom. It's, in that regard, it's more of a relationship than something physical. The Bible says that we were once a part of the kingdom of darkness, but we've been transferred to, to the kingdom of his son. And that happens at our salvation. So all that to say is, um, it's relational. He's our king. He's my Lord. I'm a part of his kingdom. 
But the tension is, is that we're also, you know, the kingdom of God also speaks not only of the current right now situation where any and all believers all around the world at any time of the church are in that kingdom under his rule, but it also speaks of something that hasn't happened yet. The Bible teaches that Jesus is physically coming back to this earth and he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth, in this world, very physically, very obvious, very, very um, material. He's going to be on this earth and we who have trusted him as our Lord and come under his kingship on this side of eternity will get to rule and reign with him on that day. So, that's kind of a very, very abrupt, maybe very simplified version of, of thinking through what the kingdom of God is. So what does it mean now when we're saying your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, you see, here's the thing. Um, when we pray that, what we're really asking is saying, Lord, rule over every area of my life for the kingdom's sake. Um, you know, we live on this earth we live in this world. And the interesting thing about being a Christian is though we live in this world that's all around us that we can see, touch, feel, smell, the reality is we're just pilgrims passing through and we belong to another kingdom. Our lives are to be governed under a different set of uh, kingdom values. We're, we're in this world, we're not of this world. So there's this degree of where we're trying to conform to the values of, of the kingdom of God. And so we're saying, Lord, in my life, in everything I'm going through right now, in my circumstances, in my job, in my ministry, in my marriage, in my whatever, Lord, your kingdom come, your rule in my life. I want you to rule and overrule everything in my life. I want everything, listen, in my life to be submitted to you for your glory and for the furthering of your kingdom. Now that's a, that's a heavy prayer because what's tacked onto it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, I think, this, I was trying to describe this to my wife. We were talking about it and I said, it's almost like a filter, right? This prayer now becomes almost like a filter. Where I'm, whatever it is I'm praying for, I've got to filter it through this and say, but Lord, whatever I pray, but nonetheless, your will be done for the glory of your kingdom, for the furtherance of your kingdom. Now that is actually kind of a dangerous prayer and it changes the scope and the landscape of our prayers now, doesn't it? Let me just give you a made-up example. Can't imagine anybody would feel this way. Let's pretend you hate your job. <laughs> and you're thinking, and your prayer has been, Lord, I just pray for a new job. And, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with praying that. But what if the Lord of your life says, I know you hate your job. But you see, you're my only kingdom representative at that job. And I'm more concerned about the kingdom of God than your present comfort. What if you were to then pray instead, Lord, even though I can't stand my job, nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done for the kingdom's sake. It just, it throws a whole new light on the way that we pray because now all of a sudden it's not about, you know, me getting my will done. And let me just say this, prayer is not about getting God to do what you want him to do. Prayer is not about God teaming up with us. It's about us teaming up with him. It's about us getting in line with what he wants. And this prayer to me is, is dangerous in the sense that it'll wreck the way that you look at things. Because all of a sudden, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and his kingdom. What's the ultimate example? Jesus. Father, if there's any other way, 
take this cup from me, remove this cup, but nonetheless, not what? My will, but your will be done. You know what happens when two wills collide? One of them has to yield. One of them has to die. And so when we pray this, what we're saying is, Lord, I'm gonna die to my will. And I'm just ultimately saying, you can have every area of my life. I submit it to you. Well, let's go on to the next point. The next thing he says in in following this outline is person, his praise, his purposes. Um, Now, look at the next phrase. It says, now give us this day our daily bread. Now it kind of switches. There's a real uh, switch from kind of a Godward focus to a very kind of practical focus, a kind of an abrupt switch where it's now talking about provision. He says, give us this day um, our daily bread. We could talk a lot about this. Um, we, We tend to kind of really spiritualize this but I actually love how pragmatic this is. He just says, Lord, you guys, this is how you pray. Say, say Papa, Daddy, um, give us today our daily bread. What does that mean? Well, bread, uh, biblically speaking, in that, in, that, in that kind of Bible times was very synonymous with just food. When you talk about bread, it's just kind of a, a, a larger uh, idea of just food, which, you know, you need food every day to survive. And so you could kind of broaden this a little bit by saying what, what's really he's praying for is, yes, our daily food, but you could, I think without um, at all stretching the meaning of this, you could, you could say, he's really saying, um, you can pray for your daily needs. That he's saying, Lord, provide what I need daily. Food, ultimately, yes. Lord, provide the food I need to get through this day. And I just want to remind you that your father knows what you need. In fact, didn't we read that earlier? He says, you know, don't just talk, 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 talk. Your father knows what you need before you ask him, which, by the way, begs the question, well, if he already knows what I need before I ask, why do I need to ask? There's a huge difference between knowing a need and somebody asking for something. For example, I know that my four-year-old, JJ, loves cookies. There's no guesswork there, I know. But when he comes to me and says, Daddy, I would like a cookie, I'm like, no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm like, yes, you know, I'll give him one because there's something wonderful about, hey, I know he needs water, but he says, daddy, can I have some water? Yes, and he comes and requests of me. But, I, but even if he doesn't, guys, I know, you know, he's gonna get food at the table. And, and what God, I think, wants us to be reminded of that he is very capable of providing what we need every single day. And, and it's good and it's okay. I've talked to people that in, in the past, and, and I, I'm thinking of a specific right now in my brain, but, you know, I've talked to people that say almost like as a badge of holiness, like, oh, I I never pray for myself. And I'm thinking, that's dumb. Why wouldn't you pray for yourself? Jesus himself said, say, Father, provide my daily needs. It's good to do that. Now, if that's the only thing you ever pray for, then there, you know, there's a problem. But, But it's good to come to God and say, Father, I know you know this, but I need this and I need that. And notice too what he says, he says, our daily food, our daily bread. I love that the father is saying, I don't want you to worry about your two-week bread. I just want you to worry about today. I'm gonna take care of you today. Again, back to, I'm gonna use JJ in a lot of illustrations today because I'm his father and he's my son. And, you know, I'd be so bummed if my little four-year-old came up to me and was crying. And I, What's wrong, JJ? 
Chad, you just want some food. Oh, you can have food? We have some food. We're going to eat dinner. No, I mean like next Thursday. What are we going to eat? I'd be like, JJ, that's my job to worry about next Thursday. Your job is just eat what I put in front of you. And I'm sure that analogy breaks down, but can we just stop worrying about next Thursday's stuff and just realize he's going to take care of you today? He didn't say, give us this month our monthly. He said, give us this day. How, how many of us actually live this way? We live in America, and by and large, most of us, not all of us, but most of us have never had to live in a, in a day-to-day, you know, just, I don't know what we're going to eat today, but I hope, hope it comes through. But if we did, God would provide for us. And I, I've been in cultures, I've been in places in the world where it truly is a day-to-day, Lord, would you please provide our needs? So you can come to him with your needs, you can trust him with your needs, he knows what you need, and then just trust that for that day, stop worrying about tomorrow, that day, he's gonna give you what you need. And by the way, when it says, give us this day our daily bread, I just wanna throw this in there. It's not that he's saying like, we shouldn't work. You're like, well, just give it to me. So I'm not going to go to work, says God said. Listen, there's verses in the Bible that say if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. It's not that he's just going to always just give it out of the blue. Of course we go to work and we, we, we do our best. But ultimately, whatever comes our way, it's from God. It's absolutely from God. I got one little story I wanted to share. This is about um, George Mueller, who many of you guys know from a generation or maybe 100 years ago or so. Um, just a, an amazing man of prayer. And he, he, he just... Uh, had these orphanages in England and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids would go through his orphanages. And there's a story, it's true, I have it documented here, but I'll just sum it up. Um, one night, you know, they, they ran out of food. Um, they knew there was no food for breakfast, but um, they, they just called all the kids to come to the, the breakfast table anyway. And I love this. It says, um, I'll just read it from this account. It says, within minutes after them sitting down, a baker knocked on the door and said, Mr. Mueller, Last night I couldn't sleep. Somehow I knew I had to, that you needed bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you and I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time his wheel was fixed. So he asked if he could give them free milk. There's, these are amazing stories. God is able to provide our needs and we can trust him. We could go on and on. Let's move on to the next little part of the outline. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now we go from provision to pardon. Notice what he says. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. The word debt there means um, our offenses, our sins, our transgressions. And Jesus incorporates this in where he says, you know, an important part of your prayer life is to say, Father, Forgive me, forgive us for our sins, our debts, our sins against you, our sins against other people. But if you think about it, you know, wait a you know, kind of hold on for a second. You think for a second, if I'm a child of God and, and all my sins are already forgiven, how come I need to ask for forgiveness for my sins? You ever had that asked to you? Hey, if, if when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all my sins, past, present, future, why do I need to come to God and, and ask him to forgive my sins? Listen, just because I'm a child of God doesn't mean that I'm not capable of sinning against my father. Again, another JJ illustration. A couple of days ago, 
I won't give you the details, but there was something going on in the, and, and we were telling my son to do something and he was reacting to his mom and it was just getting out of hand and, and he's just ramping up and he was just overreacting. It was ridiculous. And I called him out and I'm scolding him and it got kind of heated there for a minute. I started acting like a four-year-old for a second. And then I took him in the bathroom and we're talking it out and I'm just kind of getting real serious with him. And then all of a sudden he stops. And he looks up at me with a tear going down his eyes. And he goes, I'm sorry, daddy. And he reaches up and kisses me. (laughs) What do you think I did at that moment? That's not good enough, son. Listen, I got news for you. I had already forgiven him. But when he said, daddy, I'm sorry, what did it do? It immediately cleared the air. Everything is done. You see, I, I believe that our sins are already paid for. By the time we come to God and say, God, forgive me, it's not that that sin wasn't paid for, but when I confess, it's like the clearing of the air and that sin is wiped away and there's nothing between us now and it's back to hugs and it's back to laughter and it's, there's no weirdness there. How important it is to just have this open, walking in the light kind of thing with, between you and your father. I'm not saying you have to like go down a list and try to think of all the things I might have done wrong. No, if you're praying and all of a sudden you think, man, I was a jerk to my wife. Lord, forgive me. Confess it. Oh, Lord, I just was, I had those impure thoughts. Confess them. Then move on. But just clear that air with the Father. But notice the second part of it. As he says, um, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're not only to pray that God will forgive our sins, but we're also, listen, to forgive those who have sinned against us. This is the only part of the prayer that he comments on later, and I'll read it in verse 14. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. I'm not gonna attempt to explain away the severity of what Jesus said. This is a a serious statement. He's saying, look, it is not an option for you and I who have been forgiven of so much to withhold forgiveness for those who have sinned against us. But they've sinned against me. They wronged me. Yes, they have. And I don't belittle that. But the sin that was done against me, the sin that was done against you by that person or whatever, the person that hurt you, it's sin against you. But isn't it ultimately a sin against God? Didn't they ultimately sin against God? And listen, God has forgiven. God died for that sin. The point is, if God's not holding that sin against them, who am I to hold that sin against them? I'm to forgive. You're to forgive. Now, we could launch into a sub-teaching here on forgiveness, but I just wanna, I'll say this. Forgiveness does not come from a place of me just being a super benevolent guy. My big heartedness, oh, I guess I'll just sweep it. Forgiveness has nothing to do with sweeping it under the rug, has nothing to do with just being a nice guy. Forgiveness is based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you, Ephesians 4.32. What was the basis of God forgiving me? Jesus. He died for my sin. When you forgive somebody, you're not condoning the action they did to you. But you're recognizing Jesus paid for that. And Jesus is not holding that against them. And I'm now forgiving them based on what Christ did for them. And listen, the act of obedience, or excuse me, the act of forgiveness comes before the feelings of forgiveness. The feelings will follow, hopefully eventually. But we're still to obediently say, Lord, 
I forgive that person. I can't out of my own goodness. I'm not good enough. I don't have it in me. I'm, I'm bitter about it, but you just bring all of that goop and you lay it down in front of God and you say, God, but you say I'm to forgive them. So by the, in the name of Jesus, in obedience, I'm gonna forgive that person. But you gotta help me. And we could talk more and more about that. The point is we come and we say, Lord, forgive us and we forgive those who've sinned against us. Before I move on, hasn't God been good to you? I was in tears today just thinking about this. Jesus has forgiven me of so much in my life. I have been the recipient of so much grace. And who am I to withhold forgiveness from others when I myself have been just a dump truck load of grace on my life? And if there's anything that will bring me to a place of praise, and hopefully this is true of you too, is just stop and consider what you've been forgiven of the grace that God has poured out in your life. So good, so good. Well, then he says, and this is the last part, we've looked at um, the person, we've looked at praise, we've looked at his purpose in our life, we've looked at provision and pardon. And the last one here is um, protection. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Actually, there's one more after this again, but... Um, protection, deliver, don't lead us into temptation, deliver us from evil. Now, now don't think that by virtue, like, that, that Jesus saying that, that somehow God is actually tempted to, to lead you into a place to entice you to sin. James 1.13 says that we should, no one should ever say when they're tempted that they're tempted of God. He's never gonna entice you into a place of, of, of you know, trying to get you to sin. Will he test us? Absolutely. But those two phrases really are communicating the same thing. Lord, protect me. Lord, protect me from the temptations. Protect me from the snares. Protect me from the stuff that the enemy would want to just take my life down with. That's a good prayer. Pray for protection. I, I forgot who said it. It was years ago. It just hit me like a ton of bricks the way they put it. It was something to, to this effect. What if we actually prayed this? What if we preloaded our day with prayer for protection against sin and against the snares of the devil? How much we would be saved from, I think. Heaven would reveal how much we'd be saved from if we really just pray this. Say, Lord, protect me. You know where I'm weak. You know where I fail. You know, you see the traps that the enemy is laying out for me today that I can't see. So Lord, would you just guide my steps and protect me and help me just to be in that place of safety as I go through my day? That's a good, good prayer to pray. And maybe on the flip side of it, if we don't pray that, if we get sleepy in our prayer, you know, that's when we do fall into temptation. Jesus said, it's recorded in all three gospels when he was in the garden Gethsemane, pray lest you enter into temptation. When my prayer life gets sleepy, quite literally, if I sleep in all the time and I'm not praying and I'm, I get kind of spiritually lazy, that's when I am so vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy, my flesh rearing up, and it just is a mess. So it's a good prayer to pray for protection. Now, I'm almost done with the last one, and some Bibles have this in there, some don't, depending on what manuscripts were used, but there's now praise again, another praise, where he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And so it's kind of these bookends of praise, right? Started with praise and ends with praise. Prayer and praise, it's been said, they're two wings of the same bird. You know, if, if all you ever do is pray in the sense of asking, talking, but you never have praise, you know, you're, it's just not balanced right. So he gets to the end of the prayer and he says, and don't forget to praise God at the end. 
And I think that's, that's really, um, when I do it, I find it to be very, very, very appropriate and right, and I just feel closeness to God. After I've prayed about all my stuff, to just come back and thank him and praise him and acknowledge again um, who he is. And so there you go. And, and again, guys, I, I know you've heard a lot of this stuff, probably. And, I, and I, I know that there's much more we could say about it, but my goal tonight is this. Just a fresh look at this. The person, praise, his purposes. Um, what was the other one? Um, provision, um, pardon, protection, praise again. See, here, here's where this can get so practical. What's my practical application to all this? Go pray. <laughs> Turn this off and go pray. And, and maybe just grab this prayer tonight or tomorrow morning at some point and just work through that pattern or that outline. You don't have to spend 10 hours or anything. Maybe just say, Lord, you're my father. Thank you that you're my father. And just maybe think through that. Lord, as a child, I just want to say, I love you. You're a good father. And just maybe praise him and spend five minutes praising him. And then just go to that place of, of his purposes, saying, Lord, you know what I'm going through. In this area of my life, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. How does your kingdom factor in, Lord, to this area of my life that I'm wrestling with? Lord, I, I, this is what I want. This is how I see it working out. But Lord, not my will. Your will be done. You see how you could just go and, and, and talk to the Father about all these areas, incorporating that principle? And you talk about, you know, what are the other ones we talked about? Um, your provisions. You know, usually we start with that, right? We come into prayer like, Lord, I need this, and I need this, and I need this. But when you get to that point, Lord, just tell him, you know, Lord, I need this, and this is what's going on. You guys get the point. I want you to grab a hold of this. My challenge, I triple dog dare you. At some point this week, before the weekend, grab the Lord's Prayer. Go get alone in a secret place. And just go through the outline doesn't have to be tricky. Even if you got, you don't even just read it through and just mean it with all your heart. It's a great prayer. But maybe just take one or two minutes on each one of these in your context and watch and see if your prayer life won't come alive to a greater degree. Amen? Again, this whole idea is that we're just learning how to pray together as a church, as individuals, and I hope this is helpful. This is Jesus's model for prayer. It's not something we, I came up with or some other pastor. So, you know, grab it, go with it, and may the Lord bless you in a more intimate way as you learn how to just pray and be alone with him in that secret place of prayer. And um, we'll see, we may continue this mini-series on prayer next week. I'll, be, I'll pray about it. So let's pray together and then we'll go our way. Father, thanks a lot for who you are, our Father. And Lord, we do praise you. We thank you. And we do say, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in our lives. Thank you that you know our needs. Forgive us of our sins. We forgive others that have sinned against us. Protect us, Lord, as we go. Father, I pray that you would just get all the glory and honor and praise. Lord, help my brothers and sisters learn how to pray. Help me to learn how to pray. We want to go deeper in our relationship with you. And so thank you, Jesus, for giving us something so wonderfully simple, yet so incredibly deep that we can take and run with. In Jesus' name, amen.